Hello and welcome to the Writer's Mindset Podcast with me, Ellie Betts. No Christina Adams today. I've officially locked her in the dungeon for having the audacity to contract a throat infection. I don't know who she thinks she is, but she will uh, be punished for such crimes. Each week we're here to bring you the strategies and advice you need to achieve your writing goals. This week we're talking to Darcy Patterson about how to market and self-publish children's books. Children's book author and indie publisher Darcy Patterson writes award-winning fiction and non-fiction books for children. Her works have received starred PW, Kirkus and BCCB reviews. Awards include the Alma Black Honor Award, five NSTA Outstanding Science Trade Books, Eureka Nonfiction Honor Book, two Junior Library Guild selections, two NCTE Notable Children's Book in Language Arts, and a 2021 Notable Social Studies Trade Books. She is the 2007 recipient of the Arkansas Governor's Arts Award for individual artists for her work in children's literature. A big thank you to all our listeners who support us on Patreon. I hope you've been enjoying all of the bonus content we've been releasing so far this year for you. As a patron, you'll get early access to episodes, bonus content, and our undying gratitude for supporting all the work that goes into creating these episodes to inspire and motivate you. To find out more, visit patreon.com forward slash writers mindset. As a little side note today, instead of our usual weird and wonderful games that Christina and I like to do, I'd like to remind you all about our Facebook group. You can find it by going to writerscookbook.com forward slash Facebook group. In there we have accountability threads, we have whingy threads where we get annoying things off our chest, and generally it's there to support each other and really encourage each other and celebrate our wins. So if you like the sound of any of that, or even want to ask us some questions on Facebook, head over to writerscookbook.com forward slash Facebook group to do so. You should also know that this interview was recorded before Christina so rudely lost her voice. With me today is Darcy Patterson. Welcome to the Writer's Mindset. Ah, thanks. It's great to be here. So can you just tell our listeners a little bit about who you are and what you do, please? So I write children's books. That's all I do. I have about 55 books out now, both fiction and nonfiction, picture books and novels. Very nice. So how did you get into writing children's fiction? Oh, um, in sixth grade, I read Lord of the Rings. And I thought then I would like to be on the flip side of that story. I'd like to be the one writing that story. And so I didn't do anything until I had children and started reading books to them. And then it just... um, just happened that I started writing and liked it and just kept I just never stopped (laughs) that's great like what made you decide to go indie then because that's quite a challenging path for children's authors from what I've heard Uh, it is challenging I uh, have about eight books out with traditional publishers and I'm really glad I did that first because one of the important things you learn is the importance of quality you understand that they push 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 to get the very best book possible because it's important Uh, but there was a point at which I had not had any sales in a little while and I was at a point where I realized I was either going to die uh, creatively 
and have to do something else. Or I had to dig in and decide that I would bring my books to market myself. And that's what I ultimately decided to do. I decided that no one cares about my books as much as I do. No one cares about those stories as much as I do. And that uh, I could figure it out and I could bring them to market and find readers that wanted to read those books. So it's been an eight-year journey, but a lot of fun. So you started indie publishing eight years ago, you said, right? Yes. What changes have you seen in the industry since then? Well, when you first started out eight years ago, there was a lot of discrimination against self-published books. But because I'm traditionally published also, I just sent my books where they needed to go. I I never really felt um, inferior. I never let my books be treated as inferior. Um, So it's a little bit easier now. Because, uh, because self-publishing is a more respected route. It's still in some places it's not, but it's a more respected route than it used to be. That's one of the big differences is yeah, the amount of respect you get. Yeah, I've definitely noticed that as well. When I first started, I was part of quite a literary crowd. And yes. you said you wanted to self-publish and you'd get kind of a look Yes, <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> um, but um, I had a good reputation as a teacher. I had been teaching uh, novel revision classes. So to, to come, you had to have a full draft of a novel. We'd spend the weekend talking about how to revise your novel. That was very well respected. Um, so when I did it, um, my first uh, published picture book got a starred review in Publishers Weekly. And people don't know what to say. You know, I say, well, it has a starred review from Publishers Weekly. They go, oh, I've never gotten one of those. And so just from the beginning, it's very hard for them to come back and tell me that I'm doing really bad stuff um, because I wasn't. (laughs) Did you find that background as a teacher helped you in any way writing for children, whether the fiction or the nonfiction side? Well, so I'm a teacher of writing. I've done... um, retreats for different organizations. I did teach at a university creative writing, but mostly freshman composition, that basic class everyone has to take. Um, So it has helped me uh, in some ways um, just to reach for that quality again, um, that sort of thing. Um, But as far as the business side of it, it's not helped much at all. In fact, I wish I'd taken accounting classes. I wish I had taken more business classes. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Yeah. I think if you've got that business background, indie publishing comes a little bit easier or if you're more open to the businessy stuff, because I mean, as a creative, some of us just struggle with that side of things, right? (laughs) Yes, the accounting is still the worst thing that I do. (laughs) Um, And just knowing business, um, I I just knew nothing. I have no background. My parents didn't, were not independent business people. You know, I just had no background at all. So I have had to read a lot and just learn on the go. Were there any particular resources you found really helpful for learning those skills? Or was it just having the mindset that you've got to learn them? So you're going to keep learning them? Uh, Sort of that mindset. So every time I would go somewhere, I would, um, you know, and I had to travel on a plane or something, I would stop at the 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 bookstore at the airport and buy a business book. (laughs) So that was sort of my thing is I would just read business books as I was traveling. Um, And you just learn slowly that these are some possibilities. These are things to avoid. These are things that 
uh, get you results, that sort of thing. Cool. Going back to actual writing children's fiction then, what would you say is the hardest part of writing for children? Um, The hardest part is just wrapping your head around who your audience is. I mean, they are children, but they're very smart. So you can't treat them um, with disrespect. You know, oh, this is just a little story for a little child. You know, that kind of, I hate that word little uh, in in describing what you're doing. Um, It's not little, it's very big. Um, uh, You probably remember your favorite children's books. Uh, Most adults do remember their favorite children's books. So it's a, it's a story that can last a lifetime if you do it well. So the hardest thing is just remembering that they are children and yet they are very smart. They are, um, they're figuring out the world and they, they have questions and they will question your story if you don't get it right. So it's just that wrapping your head around that. And then the second thing that's really, really hard for picture books is writing short. Uh, 500 words or less for a complete story. A beginning, a middle, and end in 500 words is difficult. <laughs> yeah, that's a whole different art form to writing uh, yes. any sort of novel, really. <laughs> yes, if you're, writing, if you're used to writing novels of 100,000 words, it's really, really hard to think to, to bring that down to 500. How did you get started with the picture books and change your kind of mindset to writing something that condensed? Um, I think a lot of it is reading picture books. So I tell people that if they want to write picture books, a good thing to do is to go read 100 in a month. Uh, Take a month and just read 100 picture books that were published within the last five years. Everybody remembers those picture books they read as when they were kids, but that's not what you need. You need something published within the last five years so you know what the trends are today, what the sorts of stories work, um, how long they are, all of that sort of stuff. If you read a hundred books that have been published in the last five years, you're going to have a good idea of what what your story needs to look like. When it comes to reading those hundred books, why is it so important to focus on stuff that is newly published? Because like you said, some people are going to focus on the stuff that they enjoyed rather than what children enjoy today. Is it really that different? Yes. Yes. Um, So um, 50 years ago, you could write a thousand word story, but um, I've been hearing for the last 20 years, you know, 500 or, or less. And really what agents and traditional publishers are looking for is 300 words or less. People today don't have the time the, the mindset that they can sit down and read a long story to kids. Um, and kids today have so many distractions from, from video games, from TV, from everything else that, that's going on today. They have too many choices. So if you make it a really long story, yeah, it's, it's not going to get read. Has knowing how short attention spans are getting changed how you write any of your books? Fiction books, yes. And nonfiction is a little bit different. But for the fiction books, yes, I I try to. Uh, so one of the things with picture books, especially, is you're working with an illustrator. So you have to do what people call leaving space for the illustrator. So you have to suggest something. But for example, if you have a, if you have a policeman, uh, you wouldn't say he's six foot tall and he's, you know, he's he's got this uniform on that's whatever color it is. Um, instead, you would just say the policeman said, 
you, you cut down all of that stuff and leave all the visuals then to the illustrator. And so you're, you're, really, you're really thinking in terms of, um, if you think of good writing has the, the five senses, what you see here, smell, touch, taste, feel, um, I almost always cut out almost all the visual because that's the illustrator's job, but I get the other senses. So I try to put in instead um, sensory details, like um, what you hear, things like that, because that's harder to put into the, to the visuals. So you're always thinking in terms of what the illustrator can do and what he can't do. And you add that. And, but that allows you to cut out all that description. Is that hard to let go of that control of kind of one aspect of your book, something that's going to be quite a big part of it? Um, for some people, it is. I, it seems to be a normal thing for me. When I see a, a piece of art from a story that I've, I've written, I always, it's sort of the death of this book in my mind and the birth of this new book. And almost always the, the new book is better. The illustrators just know how to think visually. I don't. I know how to think in these other terms. Um, what does it sound like? Things like that. But I I don't think visually in the same way that an illustrator does. So that's fine. Yeah. I don't mind. That makes sense because sometimes you're just wired a certain way. So it's easier to do one thing than the other. And some people are lucky enough to have both. But it's just we all think slightly yeah. differently, right? Now, I am really picky when I pick out an illustrator uh, because I'm also the art director as a self-publisher. So I'm very, very picky. And it takes me sometimes a long time to find the right illustrator for a story. But it's worth taking that time, right? Oh, absolutely. Yes. The illustrations are, are very important. So you've got to find um, a great illustrator that fits within your budget because you have to think business also. Definitely. When it comes to that business side of things and actually marketing your books, is it more important to market that children's fiction towards parents and guardians or teachers or towards the children themselves? So when you write a children's book, there's two audiences. One is the child reader, and the second is the, is the adult who will buy it for them. So when you're setting up your publishing company, you need to very distinctly uh, distinguish for yourself who is your audience, and especially who is the audience who will buy. For me, I think in terms of teachers. I don't think in terms of parents. So I'm always trying to make sure that a story, especially the nonfiction, will fit into the curriculum here in the United States. You know, it's got to be curriculum related in some way and yet fun and different and not something that would be a textbooky, but some really fun sort of um, addition to what they would normally do. So I'm, I'm really thinking in terms of teachers mostly. That's really interesting. It's not something I ever have to think about because obviously I write for adults. So it's, right. it is a lot easier when you're marketing to adults because. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. There aren't quite as many layers to it, if you will. Yes. Yes. Um, and yet still the story has to appeal to the kids because the adults will not reread it or spend the money to buy it if it's not a, a, a child-friendly story. Yeah. Definitely. Do you ever put like little jokes or comments in there that the children might not get that the adults will like a lot of the Pixar films have things you don't get when you're like five but you'll get when you're like 15 or 25 or something yeah Shrek uh, movies like that have so many layers to it and I'm not so great at that I you know I do it occasionally but I really am thinking about that child reader so I'm not so worried about those layers but it's definitely a strategy that does work for some people and you can do that if you want to yeah, I think that's probably easier in longer stuff where you've got more room to play about, if you will. 
Right. Now, what I do think of, though, is um, there's an Australian writer, Mim Fox, who said who says she always. Yes, you know her. Yeah. I, I read her stuff when I was little because my aunt lives in Australia yes. and she always bought me her stuff for my birthday and Christmas. And I have like multiple copies of some of her books because she kept forgetting she bought them for me. <laughs> yeah, she's great. She always talks about writing for the child in the lap. And what she means by that is you always remember that if it's a if it's a story for younger kids, especially preschool or just early elementary, you're you're uh, sitting very close to that child, and the story is as much as anything about your relationship with that child. Why are you sharing this story with them? Why are you doing that? So she always likes to end with um, an emotional hook that will connect the child and the adult reader. She calls that the child in the lap, and um, yeah, so so um, Koala Lu is one of her most famous stories, and it ends with Koala Lu, I do love you. Um, and at that point, the child looks up at the adult and goes, oh, I love you too. You know, that's the sort of thing that you're building into some stories, um, especially those ones, again, for preschool or early, early elementary, where the adult is definitely reading to the kid. Uh, they aren't uh, reading on their own yet. So there's, there's those layers that you can build in like that, that um, connects the child to the adult. That's a really sweet sentiment. And I think obviously story time can be quite an important part for young children. A lot of parents still read their kids' stories before they go to bed sometimes and it helps them switch off. So you're then filling them with a nice, happy, fuzzy sentiment before they fall yeah. asleep as well. It's just a way to reaffirm your relationship with them. Yeah, it's great. When it comes to the marketing techniques, what have you found to be the best ways to market children's books? Oh, well, um, uh, it's very difficult. (laughs) Uh, You do all the things that adult people do. Um, I do Amazon ads. Um, I I do um, look for reviewers to to make sure that when a book comes out, it has as many reviews as possible. I do all of those same sorts of things. And they... Sometimes they work for children's books and sometimes not. It, it just varies. Um, and so knowing that I'm looking for teachers, um, a lot of times I'll do um, guides to, to ha- using the book in the classroom, that sort of thing. Like if it's, if it's for a science classroom, I will talk about, uh, for example, one of the things kids learn in about second grade uh, well, in the U.S., there's a national science standards. So you go to those and you go in the, in the second grade, the kids have to learn that the life cycle of a plant that starts with a seed, it grows, you know, then it has fruit. And so I would do um, lesson plans for the teachers that has that sort of thing. And that works sometimes. And then the other thing I do, I know this is this is crazy, but I look for awards from uh, teachers associations. So I have five National Science Teachers Association Outstanding Science Trade Books of the Year. So I'm looking for those places where teachers are specifically looking at children's books to use in the classroom and going, these are some great ones. And I find that that helps me a lot. Do you ever, pre-COVID, go into classrooms and teach workshops or just work for the children and read the book with them, that sort of thing? Uh, Sure. I think every children's book author does that some. I do less of it than I used to as a publisher, um, I take on the role of looking for bigger sales. So I am looking um, more for a sale of a thousand books, not for um, a speaking fee and selling 20 books, that kind of thing. So I'm looking more for opportunities for special sales. So for example, a school maybe 
Well, in the middle of COVID, one school asked if I could sell them 1,450 books. They wanted to give a book to each fourth grade student uh, for summer reading. So yeah, I'm looking for those sorts of things when possible, rather than um, spending time in a classroom because you can't scale that up. There's only so many days you can spend in the classroom. Um, I'm looking for bigger sales than that. Yeah, that makes sense. Is there anything that you found to be ineffective in terms of marketing your books? Everything. (laughs) I can tell you more ineffective things than I can effective things. Basically, any kind of display ads. So uh, there are lots of magazines that uh, target children's books. And I find those to be totally ineffective or um, I can't I can't attribute sales to that to that ad. So why would I spend a thousand dollars doing that when I could spend that thousand on Amazon ads and and I know that I've made sales? Um, I do find that um, what works for adults fiction does not necessarily work for children. So you just have to test it. So when I read an article, you know, this is a great new way to market. I go, okay, I'll try it once. <laughs> and if it doesn't work, um, I won't repeat it. But basically the display ads, I will never do. They just don't work. Some, uh, some things like uh, we have NetGalley and Idlevice are two different ways to send out digital ARCs, uh, advanced reader copies. I find that Idlevice works better for me than NetGalley for children's books. Um, NetGalley seems to be more focused outward towards uh, the public. Idlevice is more focused inwards towards librarians and booksellers. And I find I do better on Idlevice than I do NetGalley, that sort of thing. But that's not something you can predict. In other words, I do lots and lots of experimentation and lots of failures. Probably 80% of what I try fails. But when it works, it works. How long do you give something before you go, nope, this isn't working. It's time to spend my energy elsewhere. Oh, not very long. (laughs) I need to see sales, you know. Um, Right now I'm trying a few TikTok ads and I'm getting traffic, but no sales. So I don't know how much longer I'll try it, but um, I do like the TikTok ad platform. Yeah. I haven't tried the ad platform. Um, I've done a few TikToks on there, but I've heard TikTok is best for things like romance. I don't know how true that is, but because I'm a bit lazy when it comes to creating videos for TikTok. I prefer long form videos, but I have definitely heard things about romance authors basically launching their career from TikTok. Yes. And for children's books, the YA people are doing really well. The young adult uh, fantasies, the young adult, um, just alternative fiction sort of things, the things that wouldn't necessarily do in a mainstream because they're building their audience on TikTok. They're doing better than expected. Is there any particular type of book that you found works better for ad campaigns than others? Um, on Amazon ads, I, I do uh, okay with picture books. Um, and uh, well, okay with novels too. I, you know, none of them really work particularly well. Um, but I, I keep sort of low level ads going, you know, all the time just to keep it out in front of people. Uh, but they have to have a return on investment, um, great ROI, or I'm not going to keep them going. So, yeah, no, there's not really any type of books that do better. You're just looking for the audience and finding people that will respond. And that's the real challenge, isn't it? Yes. Yes, for any of us. Oh, yeah, definitely. Talking about you then, what's one book that changed your life? Oh, 
probably that first book I did. It's called Wisdom, the Midway Albatross. It's the story of the oldest known wild bird in the world. She lives on Midway Island, which is a small little island in the middle of the Pacific Ocean, Midway, between Asia and America. And it used to be a military base. The airplanes would fly halfway across the Pacific, stop their refuel, and then fly the rest of the way. But it's now a, a national park. And they kicked all the airplanes and all the military people off. And it is a wildlife preserve now. So she is the oldest known wild bird in the world. She is over 70 years old. This is true story and still hatching chicks. Wow. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) She's still alive. She's outlived uh, what scientists thought was even possible. So she's over 70 years old. She was on Midway when the Japanese tsunami hit in 2011. Um, The Japanese tsunami hit right off Japan, Um, an earthquake hit right off Japan, sent a horrible tsunami wave to to the coast of Japan, wiped out uh, thousands of people and destroyed a nuclear plant. But it also sends out the tsunami in circles, in waves. So it traveled across the Pacific, hit Midway Island um, in the middle of the night. The scientists I talked to said, It was terrifying because they could hear the water coming, but they couldn't see it. And when they got up the next morning and looked, there was devastation everywhere. Thousands of birds were dead. But this oldest bird in the world, Wisdom, had nested on a relatively high place. Um, And her nest was there, but she was not there. So they waited um, a week, no wisdom. Eight days, no wisdom. Nine days, no wisdom. On the 10th day, she came back. So after that, I heard that story. Um, I wrote the story, a friend of mine, who's a great illustrator, Kitty Harville illustrated it. And that book got the starred review in Publishers Weekly. And when it got the starred review, it was very, very important to me. It was not only can I do the technical things behind the, the picture book, not only can I do all of that technical stuff, but I can do it with quality. I can compete on a quality level with any publisher anywhere. A Star Publishers Weekly Review was, yes, it changed my life. Yes. That's really cool. I love that you incorporated the fact into what you were writing, because that's the kind of thing I'd probably read an article on, but it would never occur to me to turn something like that into a book for children, but they're probably going to find it just as cool as I would. Yes, the, the kids love the science. Um, and then the science teachers, of course, bring it to them. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's, a, it's a great kind of story for kids. And that's the kind of things I'm looking for in the science books that I write. It's something that's just really cool, just fascinating. 70 years old, still having chicks. Um, you know, that's like their grandmothers would still be having babies. I mean, they really can relate to that sort of thing. Yeah. And then add in the tsunami, which uh, scares every kid these days uh, because they've seen it on Uh, media so yeah it was a great story it sounds like it where can our listeners go if they want to find out more about that book or you or any of your other books so they can go to my website mimshousebooks.com m-i-m-s-h-o-u-s-e-b-o-o-k-s.com and that's where they'll find most of my books awesome i will include a link to that in the show notes for anyone who wants to check it out thank you so much for joining us it's been great okay thanks 
If you like the writer's mindset, we'd be super grateful if you could leave us a rating or a review on the podcast platform of your choice, or a thumbs up if you're joining us on YouTube. It really helps other writers find us and helps us help them to achieve their wildest writing dreams too. And don't forget, if you'd like early access to episodes, as well as bonus content, such as the things I learned from outlining for the first time, and how to craft the perfect beginning for your story, come and join us over on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash writers mindset. We've got big things planned, but we can only do them with your support. Every little bit helps us to help you even more, whether it's a rating, a review, or becoming a Patreon. I might let Christina out of the dungeon for the next week's intro if she's feeling better, but in the meantime, keep writing.